The Fruitful Christian Life, next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Those of you who have a fruit tree in the back of your yard probably look forward to harvest time when you can enjoy the fruit of your labor. After all the pruning, thinning, watering, and fertilizing, you should end up with something to show for it, right? If the tree didn't produce some good fruit, you'd start to think something is wrong. Similarly, the Christian is to bear spiritual fruit. And when there is little or none in a human life, there is great cause for concern. Pastor Ed Taylor takes us to John chapter 15, where we learn about spiritual fruit from the true vine himself. So join us for what we hope will be a fruitful edition of Abounding Grace. Take your Bibles, would you, and open them to John's Gospel, chapter 15. John's Gospel, chapter 15. We have just completed a sub-series uh, within our verse-by-verse study of John's Gospel on spiritual gifts. And by now, if you were here for all the studies, or you heard all the studies, or you need a couple more, you probably know your spiritual gift by now. It's God's heart for you to know your gift so you can use it in the church, and you can see your role in the community and in the workplace. And now we pick up where we left off in verse 1 of John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. So this section introduces us to the doctrine of abiding. And we won't spend much time in this Bible study on the topic of abiding because there's some preliminary things that Jesus wants to teach us about relationship. As the command goes forth from Jesus for you and I to abide in him, it's not merely a command, but an invitation. An invitation to enjoy the relationship that you and I already have with the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he begins by identifying himself as the vine. Now remember the the disciples, the apostles following Jesus right now, they don't have a New Testament. We read from a Bible that's put together for us that has an Old Testament and a New Testament. But at this point in their lives, they don't have the New Testament. Immediately, they're going to take everything that Jesus says and they're going to connect it with what they've been taught through the Old Testament scriptures. And the thing of the Old Testament scriptures, the vine represents Israel. Over and over again, when they would hear the vine, they would connect it with the reality of God viewing Israel as his vine. If you're taking notes, you can see it in many places. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5 is one of them, verses 1 through 7. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. Hosea chapter 10, verse 1. Israel as a vine. 
And Jesus, when he opens up verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, which would immediately shake their standard religious belief. Because what had happened is that God, he had put Israel, the nation, drawing them out as a people, he put them on the earth to bear much fruit, to bring forth Messiah, the Savior of the world, to spread the gospel both to the Jew and the Gentile. And unfortunately, they were fruitless. God's desire was for them to be fruitful. But instead, over and over again, from the very beginning stages in their life, they were unfruitful, idolatrous, and forsaking God. Jesus says, I am the true vine. If you like to write in your Bibles, circle the word true. In the original language, it means literally real or authentic. In contrast to the nation of Israel who was fruitless, rebellious, and empty, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And really what he is communicating is that I, Jesus says, I, Jesus is the one who is the true authentic vine, the one to trust in. You could put it this way. Don't rest in your heritage. Or in our modern day language, don't trust in religion. I know many of you were raised in a religious tradition. Perhaps Roman Catholicism, perhaps Lutheranism, maybe in a non-denominational church. But you were raised in a religion. But Jesus would say to us today, don't trust in your religion. Your relationship must be through me because I am the true vine, he says. And don't think for a moment that because you're a part of a non-denominational church, or this church, Calvary in particular, that you can't become religious or that you can't trust in religious things in representing what you should be having as a relationship with the Lord. It'd be very easy, you know, to think, well, I'm in church, aren't I? That must mean something. And I would say that being in a church service or perhaps listening on a Christian radio station or watching live right now, you would say, well, I'm participating, I'm seeking out God, but you're not going to be in heaven because you're in church. And you're not going to be in heaven because you listen to Christian radio or you listen to Christian music. You're not going to be in heaven in the presence of God because your parents or your grandparents were saved or you were raised in a church or you, lo- you learned Sunday school stories or you might, even de- you might even see your life as a good life and you, you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, I've, done, I've lived a good life. I've, I'm a good person. Now, I certainly wouldn't argue with you that you've been good and you've done good and we're thankful for that. The world needs more good people, but none of those things are going to get you to heaven. The only thing that will get you to heaven is to trust in the true vine, to trust in the true, authentic, real person of Jesus Christ who came to live for you and die for you. And the Bible declares, as well as many witnesses, that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He's alive right now. The Bible says that he is actively... Well, notice what Jesus told the disciples in chapter 14, verse 1, by way of review. He told the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. He's getting their eyes on heaven and on what's eternal. Now, still they don't quite understand, but here's the deal. 
They're about, they're so close to experiencing the absolute worst trial of their lives. They don't know it yet. They don't know how hard it's going to be. They don't know how difficult it's going to be, but Jesus does. And in preparing them for the hardest trial in their lives, he says, I'm leaving, I'm going to heaven, I'm preparing a place for you, and I'm going to come back for you. And he says the same thing to us. That promise is only given to those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not religion. How quickly truth can become religious. Religion, man-made rules, external regulations, ways to do things, it's not from the Lord. He's the true vine. And notice, my father, verse 1, in verse, chapter 15, is the vine dresser. We don't use vine dresser too much. I like how uh, the New Living Translation translates this gardener, or the message paraphrase translates vine dresser, farmer. And what Jesus is saying is, my father is the one that takes care of me. My father is the one that tends the vine and cultivates the vineyard. And as we noticed in verse 4, Jesus' invitation and command to abide in him, here's what Jesus is saying. I'm the vine. As you abide in me, the Father takes care of us. Now, to some of you, that's a very encouraging thing. But to many, these are difficult words. These are difficult words in a self-sufficient society that we live in. In a society filled with people that I could take care of it myself. It's hard to, it's hard to hear these words, well, I don't, I don't need to be taken care of. And, and it comes out different ways. Like, I don't need church. I don't need God. I don't need you. Very hard words where God is telling you, you need to be taken care of. He's telling you that your relationship will flourish as you abide in the vine, Jesus Christ, and the Father takes care of you. It's hard to hear for those of you that think you can do it on your own. That even for those of you that have a relationship with Jesus, this doctrine of abiding is hard for you because you tend to live out your relationship by rules and regulations and following some standard in your mind. It reminded me as a dad, as my kids were growing up. You know, my kids are grown now. I mean, my, my son, Eddie, he, ended, he grew up, finished college, got married, had a son, but now he's in heaven. And he's, he, he grew up, uh, he was 26. And then my son, he's in his 20s. He grew up. My daughter's in college. She grew up. But when they were younger, there came, every one of my kids came to a point when they decided they didn't need my help anymore, where they decided I could do it on my own. You know, it happened with uh, when the kids would put their shoes on. And there just came to a point where, well, let dad help you with tying your shoes. No, I don't need your help. And you know, you're trying to teach them over, under, around, and through. Or maybe you taught your kids how to tie their shoes with the bunny ears. I don't know how you did it, but you know what you did. And you say, come on, let me, let me just do it. We got to get out of here. Let me just tie your shoes. No, I don't need your help. No, let me help. Oh, I don't need your help. Let me help. And then you just let them go. I don't need your help. And then finally you hear, oh, dad, I think I need your help. Oh, come on over. And I'd go over and tie the shoes. And, and eventually we'd teach them how, and we didn't have to. They finally got it, and they moved on. But every one of my kids at a different stage in their life just got to that place where they weren't trying to push me away. They weren't trying to break my relationship with them at all. They just wanted to do things their own way. They wanted to move on. And we needed to disciple our kids through that, of an independence without breaking relationship. And we needed to train them in a way, disciple them, so that they wouldn't need us anymore. But it's not so with the Father. We will always need the Father in our lives. 
The place of great fruit in our lives is abiding in the vine and the Father taking care of us. And you know with the kids, you know, some mom, you know, tying shoes, some mom somewhere finally was fed up with trying to help their kids tie their shoes, and she invented Velcro and put them on shoes. That's the way to do it. Don't you think life would be so much easier if we could invent something like Velcro when it comes to some of the spiritual things that we battle with in our lives? Some of the things that are so difficult that we're trying to do it, we're trying to do it, and the Father comes along. Let me help you. I don't need your help. No, let me help you. I don't need your help. No, Lord, I need your help. I should be able to know how to tie my shoes by now. But this thing is so overwhelming. My hands are so shaking. This is such a new thing. I can't even see. Lord, I need your help. It's true for all of us. Following Jesus on this journey, because it is a journey, you know, Some of you were born again recently and you're wondering, why is it taking so long for this to be worked out in my life? Or why is it taking so long for this? And why am I I still dealing with this? And it's a journey. Not everything happens at once. It takes time. You know, when you're born again, some things are taken care of right away. And for that, you go, yes, Lord, thank you for delivering me. Thank you for taking me out of the pit. But other things, they leave over time. There's a Bible word for it. It's a very fancy word. It's called sanctification. God is changing you day by day. They used to have be that bumper sticker. We don't see it too often anymore, but it says, God isn't finished with me yet. It's true. It's so true. God is still working things out until you see him face to face. And this journey that we're on is compared in John 15 now to a garden. And what a great comparison, a garden. Some of you guys are gardeners. You're totally connecting with this section of Scripture. You're just so good at it. You, you, you garden. You take care of your lawn because you know if a garden is left untended, the plants begin to die. The weeds start to sprout. The grass turns brown. You need to cultivate your garden in your backyard. You need to feed the plants. You need to we- take out the weeds because weeds will grow by themselves. You don't need to worry about them. Weeds grow by themselves. It's kind of like our backyard. We only have a little postage stamp backyard, probably like you do, just real small. Not much to it. It's got a backyard. We've got a porch there, a concrete porch out our back door. And, and I've been gone for a week at a conference, and I probably didn't let do anything the week before. But we came back, and this yard, my yard is a mess. The grass is brown. There's weeds all through the rocks. And then there are those aspen trees. Remember I shared with you, we bought two little aspen trees out of a truck that were about this big. And now they're huge. And all these sprouts are all over the place. I didn't ask for all the sprouts. I just wanted the nice trees on the side for shade of the house because they're beautiful, aren't they? Little, the way the leaves move, it's just so beautiful. They're awesome. But not the sprouts. They're like stinking weeds and I hate them. They're all over. At the beginning of the season, uh, Caitlin went out and, you know, I was getting the yard all ready and Caitlin cut them all and sprayed them to get rid of them. And it was good for a while. But obviously, if you were to see my backyard right now, you would see that it's untended. I mean, we got so mad at those aspen trees that we cut one of them down. We got some guy climbed the tree, cut it all down. And then we had another guy come out with some machine and just grind that thing into the ground because we thought that was what was wrong. And it's like, get rid of that one. Well, I guess the other one got mad. And now it's like sprouting up all over. You can't do that to my friend. I don't have anybody to talk to anymore. I think I'm next. You know, whatever. Whatever trees are thinking, it's bad. But let me tell you this. It's so bad in my backyard. It's so bad in my backyard that I opened up the curtains to take out the trash yesterday and 
the, the aspen is growing through my concrete porch. And I'm really mad about it. I haven't told him yet, but I'm really mad. Because pretty soon it's going to go through my basement, and then that's a problem. And I need, we need to go out, you know, and so I'm looking at it, and I'm like, why don't I just let my yard go? Who cares? It's going to be green anyway. Weeds are green. It's going to be green anyway. But that's not going to fly, right? Because the guy's walking around with the clipboards uh, looking at your yards. They're going to go, we're going to get a note, and you got to take care of the lawn. And, and I was looking at it yesterday, and I'm just like, what's going on? Marie, why aren't you taking care of your yard? This is your yard. I don't want all this stuff. And life's like that. Your Christian life's like that. And I wonder how many people are listening to me right now that my backyard actually describes your life. The weeds are sprouting. The aspen is multiplying. Even the places that don't have anything, you set those rock things up and you're, you know, just around the house and everything and you put that thing down and you, you, whatever, they're still coming. They just keep coming and keep coming. And because you've left your, your life untended, you got a lot of junk in your life and it's manifesting in your marriage. It's manifesting in your bad attitude. It's manifesting in the flesh. And you got to tend the garden, guys. You got to take care of your spiritual life. But the good news is this, from this section of the scriptures, that even when you don't take care of your garden, God will take care of it. That's what verse 2 is saying to us. He says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now we have the relationship as it unfolds. We have what? The vine, Jesus Christ. The Father is the vine dresser. And now we're introduced to the branch. Who do you suppose the branches are? Who do you think it is? It's us. That's right. It's us. We're plugged into the vine. This grapevine. We're the outgrowths, the leaves, the branches of this vine. And there are two types of branches mentioned here. Branches that bear fruit and branches that don't bear fruit. And unfortunately, the the sweetness of God's care and concern for us is often lost in this section of Scripture because people want to argue about whether a believer can lose their salvation or not because that section about branches being taken away is pretty challenging. And if you just spend all your time arguing about the Scriptures, you're going to miss the heart of God. And the heart of God is that He's going to take good care of you. He's the Father. And he's going to take care of those that are abiding in Jesus by relationship. Those that are born again. Those that are are settled in him. He's going to take good care of you. The Bible couldn't be clearer on our salvation. We have a great assurance. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Paul would write in Philippians chapter 1 that we can be confident that what God started in us, he will finish. In Psalm 138 verse 8, David told us that God will perfect that which concerns us. And we will, be, we will be finished and completed by the power of God. Peter says that we are kept by the power of God. Aren't you happy that you're not kept by your own power in salvation? Think about it. Who would keep you while you're sleeping? You're completely out of it. Who keeps you while you're sleeping? God. Why? Because the Bible says that he neither sleeps nor slumbers. Here, the branches here, well, there are some few options I want to lay out for you. Um, some beautiful pictures. Because the branches represent people. They represent people. And you can look at the branches as believers, those that bear fruit, and unbelievers, those that don't bear fruit. That's one way of looking at it. Unbelievers. 
not necessarily two types of believers, or we'll get to that in a second, but believers bearing fruit and unbelievers that don't bear fruit. As my friend Gino Geraci likes to say, there are believers in the church and there are make-believers in the church. And perhaps this is a reference to make-believers. And we take it on face value. If you're a branch that isn't bearing fruit, God's taking you away. And we find that happen many times where make-believers just don't have any lasting strength. They don't have any lasting power. They don't stick around. Like John says, they end up leaving. And when they leave, you realize that they really were never of us, make-believers, not real believers, not bearing fruit ever in their lives. And then the other, the other branch, the other believer is those that bear fruit. You and I. We, we are believers in Jesus Christ. If just even bearing the least amount of fruit, let alone the most amount of fruit, fruit speaks of life, speaks of relationship. And remember what the fruit of the Spirit, you don't need to wonder what it is. The Bible tells us what it is. We'll look at it in depth later. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, Paul writes to the Galatians. And you can see those things are in your life. Why? Because of your abiding relationship with Jesus. Fruit. But notice what he does to the branches that bear fruit. He prunes them. That's another gardening term. He prunes them or he cuts them. He cuts off the dead branches. He cuts off that which isn't bearing fruit. He prunes them. Now, we don't use these words very much. They're kind of stuck in uh, Bible terms. But another word of, to, to reflect pruning is chastening. We saw that earlier today in our communion time. Another word to think of in pruning for the believer is discipline. Discipline. Parents, you can totally relate to this. You're pruning your kids all the time by disciplining them, telling them the right way to go. Another word to think of pruning is training. Again, another good parental picture. You're training your kids in the way that they should go. Pruning is not punitive or not a punishment. Because you might be feeling right now, hey, man, I'm, I'm under the pruning shears, and it's painful, and it's difficult, and it's hard. And yet, according to Hebrews, God only chastens or disciplines his kids. We've been in the Gospel of John today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the entire book. Would you like to hear today's message again? You can listen online 24-7 at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to go is to download our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor. Pastor Ed is back with me now. And Ed, let's talk about your book, Sure and Steady. We picked this out for our October resource with Pastor Appreciation Month in mind. How might this encourage our pastors? Well, Larry, we put together Sure and Steady here at the church to encourage those that want to go into pastoral or elder-type ministry. And we were looking for a resource to say, how do we do ministry here? And I have to say, although the subtitle is Helping Pastoral Ministry, Growing in Your Pastoral Ministry— We have gone through this book multiple times with our team, both volunteer and paid staff here, because it is the fundamental way that we do ministry here. It answers a lot of questions about the importance of your personal devotional life, your prayer life, taking care of your family, being on time, responding to your emails. I mean, you're going to read through it, and and it's, it's not a typical book. It's only a couple paragraphs per topic, if that and then a lot of blank space to talk about it, to write notes down. 
How does it apply to our local context? And we've been doing it recently uh, with our staff, and uh, it, it's it's powerful. Uh, the Lord is going deep in us as we are reminded. You know, none of us want to be professional in ministry, but something happens where we just get into a routine and into a rut, and we forget the simplicity of the gospel and the simplicity of serving the Lord. It is a great book for your pastor. It is a great book for this appreciation month. It's a great book for you to learn how to grow. All you have to do is replace the word pastor and say ministry servant. It's that kind of book. But definitely get it for your pastor. It's how we disciple. I guess the summary of it all is this. This is how we disciple the fundamental basics, not totality, but the fundamental basics of how we disciple pastors, leaders, and servants here at Calvary. I hope it blesses you. That's Sure and Steady by Ed Taylor. We'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Visit calvaryco.store to order that right now. Tell a friend about this daily program and set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow for Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor digs deeper into the Gospel of John to mine its treasures. This is amazing grace Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.